Sitting in a box undigified Gonna rewind and give them one more try Think about the days of lo-fi Mixtape Memorex and TDK Getting music out there the old-fashioned way Making the greatest hits of one day Mixtape Phonograph and dual cassette Before you could get everything on the internet But some things ain't made it there yet Mixtape Line in, line out if you don't have a line Hold the recorder to the speaker, turn the volume to nine Here's an accidental slice of time Welcome to Gen X Mixtape, a nostalgic podcast dedicated to the art of making mixtapes and the Gen Xers who made them. This is part one of 80s two-hit wonders, where Al and I will carry inside A of a mixtape featuring artists who charted exactly twice on Billboard's Top 40 between 1980 and 1989. If you are a loyal listener to the podcast, you may recognize that we have a completely different theme song. Yes, we do. We have, uh, this This is a, a great story. Um, last episode, we were talking about criminals, and I brought up a song from an artist that most of the listeners may not have heard of, unless you were from the Ohio, Michigan area, and that was by an artist by the name of Wally Pleasant, who was huge in the college scene. We saw him several times in Bowling Green, and he was kind of a, kind of a, a folk humorist, I guess is probably the best way to put it, but right. he was just, just brilliant stuff, brilliant stuff. I probably listened to that first CD, Songs About Stuff, just as much or more than, than other CDs, you know, at the time that were popular. And so I um, chose Small Time Drug Dealer for the uh, episode, and we were talking about, we knew he had a couple albums afterwards. I think I had maybe one or two, you had several as well. And so I went to Spotify to see, is he still making music? And the most recent release was 2018. I said, this is, this is great. So I'm listening to the um, album and came across a song called Mixtape. And I'm listening to the lyrics and I'm saying, this would be a perfect theme for Gen X Mixtape. Perfect. <laughs> I mean, it's almost as if we commissioned him to write it for the show. And so we kind of joked like, hey, I wonder if he would give permission for this. And I thought, well, why not ask? And so I looked him up, found his contact information. I mean, within... You know, 10 minutes, he wrote back and said that it would be an honor that we uh, use his song. So thank you. Thank you, Mr. Pleasant, for your um, endorsement um, of using your song for the theme song, because I think it just fits. It perfectly. really does. Oh, it's fantastic. I'd also just like to, to say that uh, what we've been, the audience is growing still more. And, and it surprises me every single week um, how much we're growing and really, really appreciate the support. We've had some really, really good reviews, too. And I want to read a couple that we've had on iTunes. Uh, we had one here recently. Uh, great show. I've been listening to Gen X Grown Up for a couple of years now, and they recently did a crossover event with several other podcasts, including Gen X Mixtape. Of course, that was at the beginning of the summer. We had that uh, cross-promotion movie, Gen X Movie podcast. She says, uh, I've been listening to new episodes of Mixtape as they've come out, and I've enjoyed the Encore episodes, which is new to me. I can't wait to get to the back uh, list next time I get some time off. I love hearing the guys talk about music. I always learn fascinating things about songs I know, and I get introduced to some new stuff as well. And then another one said, I love it. Two men who managed to have a podcast without shouting or being obnoxious and pompous. 
<laughs> I thought we were <laughs> I thought we were obnoxious. Yeah. Uh, maybe pompous too. Amazing achievement, uh, this person says. Also music. Stumbled across this podcast just today, and I've learned a nice uh, few trivia facts already, plus having some memories, some painful nostalgia, and some flashbacks. So thank you very much for those kind reviews, and if you're enjoying the show and haven't had an opportunity to review if, if you like it, um, please uh, leave a review on Apple, uh, iTunes, or on Spotify. You can rate on Spotify. Correct. And uh, we'd really appreciate that. We also had a few people reach out and they, they wanted to support the show, which again, we're not doing this for, for money. We're doing this. It's our little pet project. But, you know, we do have some costs um, that we put into it. So if, if you're a loyal listener and you want to offset costs, if you go to our website, genxmixtape.com, there is a button for our Patreon account that we just opened. And uh, yeah, you're, you're willing to, to help out. Uh, that'd be great. That'd be fine. Don't have to. That's not what we're doing it for. But uh, we appreciate the support. You can also uh, review us. I don't know if every social media site allows it, but Facebook, because we are a Facebook page, specifically a business, um, a page, you can you can actually leave us reviews on Facebook as well, because that's where most of our listeners have found us, and that too would be awesome. It would help us to grow our audience even further. Um, so lots, lots of ways you can help us out, but we want to help you out. We are going to give you some very... Very big nostalgia today, I think. This is a good category. It really is. Everybody talks about one-hit wonders. Um, you don't hear a whole lot about the two-hit wonders. No, no. And, and it's funny because when we were doing research to choose our songs, we found that there were a lot of songs that we assumed were two-hit wonders because there were two songs that most people can remember. Right. But they might have had an, an additional song or two that went to number 39 that basically disqualified them. So yeah, <laughs> there were some we wanted to include that you would assume. So if you're listening and there's a particular artist that you think we should have mentioned, go back and look look on the chart singles chart on Wikipedia and you can see under the U.S. column. They had a couple other little sneaky hits. Yeah, I, that was true for a lot of bands and artists. It really shocked me. Like Glass Tiger out of Canada. I remembered uh, Don't Forget Me When I'm Gone and Someday. You know, the, the only two I remembered. I look and oh no, they had many more. And, and uh, Naked Eyes was another great example. You know, always something there to remind me. Promises, promises. I thought we were done. And they have fact, a bunch more. <laughs> they had a bunch more. Yeah, it was just, uh, it was kind of eye-opening. And even more interesting were the number of two-hit wonders that I was kind of shocked that they had a second hit at all. You know, mm-hmm. so many of these bands and artists I thought were one-hit wonders, and in fact, they weren't. It was... It was a neat little history lesson. Yeah, for for, for me anyway. There were there. Were, it's funny because there are some bands where even the second hit, uh, I didn't recall at all. I'll talk about that during the show. And then there was an example where there was a song where I was sure was a top ten and never broke the top forty. I know. I had one of those. And I'm going to talk about that. Mine is going to, I think, probably shock a lot of people. The big one. Um, but no, it was it was interesting doing the research. I usually, you know, we don't like to do a lot of research. It's more work than fun, but this time it was kind of neat because there was so much I didn't know. And you might ask why top 40, why not hot 100? Well, if you're a true Gen Xer, you know, Zabe talks about the disqualifiers. Um, A, you you, um, had to have listened to Casey Kasem's American top 40 every every week week. on the radio. But I've mentioned on this uh, podcast before that I had Joel Whitburn's um, top 40 it was a book, a reference book that had all the top 40 hits from 1955 to I think 1984 was when I had the book and it was just top 40. And so to me, that kind of became the, that was, that's when you made it. Even if you just barely cracked the top 40, that's something you could brag about. Right. So 
that would be our criteria for this episode. We are looking at bands and artists that only had two hits on the top 40. Um, pretty straightforward. Pretty straightforward. Really. Um, it's going to be, I, I think, if you're tuning in, if you're listening in to the podcast today, I, I think you're really going to be nostalgic. You know, there are a lot of songs here. I remember every one, but... I had forgotten about more than half of them. So it, it's going to be a lot of fun to relive some of these songs. 1980s. I mean, that's the sweet spot, right? It is. Yeah, the 80s. It's. I, I would venture a guess that not since the 1950s was music so, um, so eclectic, you know, on the radio. I think the 80s and the 50s have a lot in common because there, there was just a feel or a vibe to those particular sets of, of music. Well, I think that makes sense because in the 1950s, um, rock and roll on radio was new. Right. And so you were, you know, there was a lot that fell under that umbrella of rock and roll, but there wasn't a lot of music out there. And I think that was mirrored in the 1980s when MTV came out. Exactly. There weren't a lot of videos, and so they're playing anything they can get their hands on. So now we see all sorts of different genres being represented uh, eventually on, on radio, on airplay, because, you know, kids, people are, are watching it on, T- on MTV. Yep. All right, Colton, well, you want to get started? Yeah, let's do this. All right, you go first. All right, well, for side A of our 80s Two Hit Wonders mixtape, uh, I'm going to begin with The Tubes. Now, in 1981, they had a single that hit number 35 on the Hot 100, and the name of that particular tune was Don't Want to Wait Anymore, which I had to admit, I have no memory of that second song. I, I don't remember that song. I only remember them uh, from their cameo appearance in Xanadu. Xanadu, yeah. In fact, I think it was the opposite. I, I think I already had the 45 for She's a Beauty, which is the one obviously you're going to talk about, but um, n- never having heard of the tubes before and then later seeing Xanadu. Right. And kind of hoping they'd play She's a Beauty. She's a Beauty. But, and but it didn't work out. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, the, the first of their two hits, uh, hit number 35 in 1981, Don't Want to Wait Anymore. I went with the bigger hit, uh, one that I'm sure our listeners, if they are true Gen Xers, they will remember. As Dave said, it is She's a Beauty. And it hit number 10 in 1983. It was a top 10 hit. remember that video oh yeah that was pretty risque yeah, gonna talk about <laughs> okay you're gonna talk i won't oh, steal yeah. your thunder here oh, then yeah. all right so th- this is by far the bigger hit uh for the tubes it was propelled by a high quality video 
they got lots of airplay on MTV, which had launched just two years earlier. And actually, as we're recording this, uh, we recorded in advance. Um, honestly, MTV just turned 41. Wow. Yeah, just uh, two days oh, ago. Yeah, I, I, someone posted the, uh, I think it was Mark Goodman, was yeah. the first VJ to introduce yep. it. And it was, it was, they were all pretty stiff and oh, pretty nervous. Yeah. <laughs> the production was pretty low, but yep. such a cool concept. And I, I doubt any of them realized what MTV would oh, become. I, I, I'm sure they were worrying about job security, you know, thinking that this whole thing was going to go belly under. And it did not. And I guess, <laughs> so. you know, the analogy we talked about earlier, uh, or not analogy, but the fact that we talked about earlier with the, the idea that when a new medium comes out, there isn't a lot of content, and so right. they play anything. I think the same goes for cable television, right? Cable television exploded in the late 70s, and they didn't have a lot of programming channels, yep. and there's all this content being made by these artists. Why not put them on, sell advertising? You don't have to do any work at all. Yep, absolutely. And, until they realize they can make more money from television shows and right. reality TV specials, and then, well, that's and, another yeah. story. And that's the meme you know, <laughs> right. today. You know, happy 41st birthday, MTV. Thank you for 11 years of music. You know, it's... Uh, A lot of channels started like that, like Cartoon Network, right? They would mm -hmm. just show old cartoons, and yep. then now it's, it's newer cartoons. Um, yeah, it seems that's the model, right, with cable. You find something that's easy where the content's already produced, and then you have to up the ante. Unfortunately, because I, I love those channels that just show oh yeah old stuff yeah i i to this day i would probably be much better versed in today's music if mtv still played videos yeah i would turn it on yeah i would you too know, i would watch absolutely remember, remember amc remember amc right we think of the walking dead and we think of better call saul it, it was, was American, American movie, ch American movie classics, classics, right, yeah. right. They just sold movies. It's it's nothing at all. Like it, yeah. So, anyway, Turner's still there though. Yeah, Turner uh, movie classics. But um, anyway, go back to the yeah. truth. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no. It's I think it's a perfectly valid point that we're making. All right. So the, the tubes they actually started at A and M Records in 1975, and they created some rather intriguing conceptual albums at that time, including Remote Control in 79, with a theme of television-induced idiocy. It's an interesting interesting album from start to finish. No singles come from it, though. Um, the problem is that their albums never met sales expectations. So A&M dropped the band in 1981, but Capitol Records welcomed them with open arms. The label teamed them with producer David Foster, who helped them craft their ballad, Don't Want to Wait Anymore, that was the other hit. For their second album for Capital, Outside Inside, Foster and Luke Ather teamed with uh, Fee Waybill to write She's a Beauty. Uh, Luke Ather, who played guitar on the track, is a good guy to have on your team. He actually did session work for a number of artists and often came up with distinctive sections, but rarely was he credited as a songwriter. The original lyric was, you can talk to a naked girl. Because it's based on a well, yeah. true story. Behind the glass. Behind the glass, yeah. Right. So it became clear, though, that this song was going to be a single, and producer David Foster insisted that they change it to Pretty Girl so radio stations would play it. My, how far we have come. <laughs> <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. Radio would not have played the word naked, apparently, in 1983. Um, yeah. Contrast that with today's music. Um, so they did. Uh, Waybill uh, protested, but Foster, the sensible hit maker, he won that battle and it was changed to, you can talk to a pretty girl. In Canada, you'll often hear variations of the phrase, she's a beauty, to indicate approval. Just learn that. I didn't know that to our Canadian friends. David Foster, uh, he's a native of British Columbia. 
And uh, he banded the phrase about during the, the sessions, which is how it got in Fiwebo's head when he came up with the title. Now, the video is themed after a carnival sideshow in Dark Ride. Okay, this video both fascinated me as a kid and kind of scared the hell out of me as a kid. <laughs> yeah. It did both. It, right. it, it did. Uh, lead singer Le Webo is, uh, is our man in the candy striped jacket and straw hat. He's inviting you to step right up, folks. Don't be shy because you will not believe your eyes, right? And then the ride delivers with giant lips, a mermaid, acrobats. The original concept was based on the 1932 movie Freaks. Oh, about really? circus sideshow performers. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and then that proved, though, to be too outlandish. So they went with the carnival ride theme instead. And in large part, this was inspired by Duran Duran's video for Girls on Film as well. That was kind of the uh, the bar that had been set for them. The, the tubes wanted the mermaid topless, but that was a no-go. So they did slip in some breast imagery uh, in other places. The drum set. Check out the drum set if you go back to rewatch this like double ba- Is it like a double bass kit? And with I'll, little I'll, dots on I'll, the... I'll save it for okay. you. Go back and look. Uh, also, at one point, the ride crashes through a paper boob. It's actually a, a woman's breast that they go through the paper on the ride. Just a single one? Just single oh, okay. boob. Okay. Yeah. Um, the hype man... <laughs> Uh, Fee Weibo plays in the song as a throwback to the 70s Tubes concerts, I guess. Uh, he would act the part of an excitable game show host or egomaniacal rock star at his concerts. Uh, apparently, I, this actually sounds very cool. Al Cooper, who produced their first album, said that uh, for him, it was one of the best, most hilarious live shows he had ever seen and unique at that. There were costumes and set changes and incredible between song patter. No matter what your ticket costs, you got your money's worth. So I'm trying to wrap my head around that because I know so little about the Tubes discography as it is, right? Other than this song and, right. as we said, Xanadu. Um, the kid on the ride in the video is Alexis Arquette, who was 12 years old at the time and then known as Robert Arquette. She later appeared in the movie The Wedding Singer is George, who was a boy George impersonator. Uh, Arquette ended up in the video because of the group's Toto connection. Uh, his sister, Rosanna who is the namesake of the 1982 Toto hit. Uh, she was dating Steve Porcaro of, of Toto and the bandmate of She's a Beauty co-writer, Steve Lukather. And Rosanna Arquette, I'm assuming everyone knows. Well, Paul Fiction is nothing else, that. right. Yeah. Uh, Rosanna Arquette was also friends with the guys in the tubes. So, What about Patricia Arquette and David yeah. Arquette? A lot of Arquettes out A lot there. of Arquette, yeah. That's a very, very talented family. Yes. Um, but yeah, Alexis Arquette, formerly... Uh, Robert Arquette that is the kid in the video now I'll tell you why the video scared the hell out of me though is because at the very end when the the ride comes to its stop the the kid I don't know if you remember this had aged he was an old man oh yes he had like gray hair yes so you know nine year old me ten year old me I'm watching this video 83 I would have been 10 I'm watching this video trying to figure out how you know these these beautiful women age you and it scared the hell out of me i just i I didn't get it at the time now i get it (laughs) but um yeah oh it was one of the first great videos oh yeah really so you remember the song right? oh well yeah i had the it was one of the first 45s i had and i just remember that that opening little guitar lick effect that kind of repeats it's hard to describe but you know you know when you hear it that leads into the song is one of the coolest openings to any song in the 1980s i agree i do in fact i'm i'm kind of rooting for this to be the first song we go with on the completed mixtape we'll we'll see yeah and and it was it was a pop song but but it it had 
great rock credentials. Oh, yeah. I mean, the guitars were hard. I mean, the melody was sweet, but the guitars were hard. And it just, it's a great driving song. It's a great roll the windows down, maybe drive a little bit faster <laughs> than you yeah. normally would. Perfect for that scenario. Absolutely. I could not agree more. All right. Uh, my choice, my first choice. Um, I'm really excited to, to talk about this one because this may be my, my favorite 80s song of all time. Okay, I know which one it is. Take On Me by Aha from 1985 from their album Hunting High and Low. amazes me is at first this song was a failure they released it in the uk didn't hit i don't understand why upon a second release however it was accompanied by maybe the most iconic music video yes. of all time the greatest music video of all time I'd, I'd be willing to say and then the song eventually reached number one in the u.s again showing how much mtv had an influence um, it, the good music was out there good music is always out there it's just how do we get it to the listeners the uh, the follow-up single the Sun Always Shines on TV, subtitled, went to number 20. Now, this is that example. I had absolutely no recollection of this song at no, all. I, I don't remember it at all. And I went back and listened to it, and I do have a vague memory of the melody. It's, it's a good melody. It's a good song, and I, I, I kind of remember it, but, you know, number 20. I, I, was a, I was a loyal listener to Casey Kasem. Yeah. I'm sure through this point. Well, maybe 1985, maybe I missed a few weeks. Maybe that's how I don't remember that song. But to go to number 20, it, it was on the radio for a while. Hmm. So, yeah, that's, that's one I don't remember. Um, but it's a solid song. Check it out. It'll be on our mentioned songs. In fact, I think we're going to put all of our number twos right. on yeah. the mentioned songs list as well. They'll, they'll be there. Well, the video, if you remember, was this, it was a sketch. Well, first it starts. It's an actual film. And this girl goes into a diner, right? And, yep. and she gets pulled into this comic book. And once she's pulled into the comic book, they use a technique called rotoscoping where they blend the two together until she gets pulled in. And then it, it's a sketch. It's like a sketch animation. And it was just really cool looking, really, really innovative. It was great what they did. They didn't have computer animation back then, right? So, you know, rotoscoping is an old trick. And it was just a lot of fun. And it fit perfectly. And it won six awards at the MTV Video Music Awards that year. Um, let's see. Also, oh, yeah, this was great. There are only... Several videos that ever received more than a billion views on YouTube. Okay. Okay. You have any any guesses as to what they might be? Uh, thriller has to be one. Thriller is not one. You are kidding me. I'm not. Um, this is as uh, of okay. 2020. So right. unless it, now it could have changed in the last two years. As of 2020, 
there were, let's see, one, two, three, four videos okay. that were later obviously put on YouTube that amassed over a billion views. Okay. Well, see, in my mind, I'm going with the videos that I remember being so iconic. Like, the, you have right away the two by Peter Gabriel. Nope. Really? Big nope. time and sludge nope. humor? Neither one. Nope. Um, Don't Come Around Here No More was another nope. one. Um, I will tell you that one of them is only a conceptual, well, other than Take On Me. The other one is conceptual. The other two are really not that high concept. I mean, I, well, I'll, just, I'll tell you what they are. We yeah, can talk I'm, about I, it. Yeah, t- just tell, tell Smells me. Like Teen Spirit is one of them. Not a really high concept video. Yeah. I'm <clears throat> November Rain. Yes, that, that one makes I, sense. That makes sense. And yes. then arguably the first music video. Some people refer to it as the first music. The Buggles. No, no, not the first music video on MTV. The first music video made, or at least the first kind of high concept music video made. Oh my God, what would be the first? Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, I, I knew it was up there, that the, they right. were the very first ones to Well, do I mean, like I, that. you can check me on that. I'll have to go back and look, but I was always under the impression that that was kind of the first promotional film put together, okay. um, you know, several years before MTV. Right, uh, and and that was because they, they were going to play Top of the Pops in the UK, um, Queen. I found this in my research for the last episode, uh, Criminal. Um, they were going to play Top of the Pops, but... Uh, they they did not want to. Right. <laughs> so, uh, well, it's hard to perform that. Yeah, song exactly. Live. So, simply stated, they they just went ahead and they made the video, and the video was then played on top of the. Pops. And that's why I think it's considered the first music video. And now I'm sure prior to that, there were promotional films where they had live performances of artists, right? Which you could consider a video. But as far as a conceptual short film that promotes the music, I think this was is considered the very first one. Okay. Um, now, what helped along, helped uh, take on me along a little bit, was that it was restored to 4K. There are a couple of videos. You've got to MTV now and you have a, a 4K television. Um, you can, like, another, uh, what was the one from um, Alanis Morissette, uh, Ironic? Oh, yeah, yeah. Was, was remastered uh, in 4K from the original film print. And I was showing my daughter, and, and she couldn't believe it didn't come out yesterday. I mean, that's how clear it doesn't look like something that came out of the 90s. And so they did a 4K remake on um on this one as well so that may have helped it get to the, to the billion views but huh. um what also may have helped it too was um the way that this song and the video has found its way through pop culture right it's heard in movies tv series video games but my favorite has to be the opening titles of family guys yeah breaking out is hard to do i think it was maybe it wasn't the opening titles but somewhere it, near it wasn't, the beginning it wasn't the opening titles um they're they're in the grocery store. Okay, um, okay. And, and Chris gets pulled into that. Chris gets pulled, and the hand comes out of the like the the frozen section. <laughs> right. Brings him in, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's a lot of fun. I think Peter's the Peter's the antagonist with the helmet in the sidecar. And uh, yeah, I'll have to go back and watch that. Yeah. So yeah, I just can't. I, why is this a perfect pop song? Well, a perfect pop song to me is one that's tight. It's extremely melodic. It has a memorable rhythm. And it just fits, it, it just, everything fits in place. There's, there's no loose ends. There's no kind of go off a little bit here to the right and come back. No, it stays on its purpose and it's solid through and through. And it's a song, my criteria, that you can never get sick of. Agreed. And here's the part that a lot of people may not, I don't, may not know, is that Take On Me is actually a very beautiful song. Um, you know, I, I think it is one of those songs that everyone knows, but very few have ever listened to the lyrics uh, for the song very closely. When it is slowed down, because you know, Aha has a a an acoustic version of this song that is just hauntingly beautiful. Um, it is actually it it it's kind of a tearjerker, really. 
Um, we should throw on that acoustic version yeah, on Spotify because it, it is. It's it's very beautiful version. Um, okay, I, I no great choice. I. I knew you would have that one so it was even sampled uh, a few years back i forget what some dance club song that kind of crossed over into the pop charts i, I don't remember what it was now but they used the um you know that that keyboard riff right that's, that's so popular yeah and and here again is the the great irony if you had asked me prior to the research i would have told you aha was one hit wonder right i would have yeah um i i very much like uh come on eileen you know by um uh, Dexies Midnight, Dexies Midnight Runners. Runners. Yeah. I, I would have thought the two of them are in the same vein. They, they, the two of them certainly, I think, rival one another for the greatest uh, iconic song of the the early eighties. Right. Um, well, they were one hit wonder. They right? were. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Dexies, were. Yeah, yeah. Dexies was one hit wonder. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. All right. What you got next? All right. My number two. Uh, I'm going with the Romantics, and I have chosen a song titled "Talking in Your Sleep." It hit number three on the top 40 in songs where the video gave me funny feelings as a child a prepubescent <laughs> yes. child and didn't understand why <laughs> yes uh, understand perfectly clear today uh talking in your sleep is is the biggest hit of the romantics career actually in fact it is their only top 10 hit and the only other song by them their other hit the the second uh uh, second hit wonder, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I'm not sure how you say that. Uh, the, the only other hit they had was a titled was titled "One in a Million," uh, which hit number 37 in 1984. I vaguely remember that. Okay, now contrast that though with the number of times you have heard the Romantics' "What I Like About You." Yeah, that would surprise a lot of people. People yeah. would assume that's the other. I was sure it was. Uh, in fact, "What I Like About You" never cracked the top 40. It peaked at number 49. That's so strange because that song, and again, maybe it's because of the video. There was a video on MTV. It was. And maybe it was you. I think that's the thing. It was probably used so much in pop culture after that. Right. That people just assumed it was a big hit. Agreed. This was the one that really shocked me. Out of all 12 of my my tracks, this, I could not believe that what I like about you was not a, not a top 10 hit, you know, or, or even have, having reached number one. Um, but no, it did not. And it's, yeah, it's everywhere. You can't go to a stadium 
You know, I don't care what sport you, you pick your sport. You can't go to a stadium or an arena and not hear what I like about you. Right. It, it's dumbfounding. Well, Talking in Your Sleep, it was written by the band. Uh, it tells the tale of a man learning his lover's secrets when she reveals them in her sleep. Luckily for the guy, she, she actually uh, loves him quite a bit. Now, here's your geeky little takeaway for the song's subject, okay? The phenomenon of talking in your sleep. Do you know the scientific name for that? I do not. Somniloquy. Somniloquy. Well, that makes sense. It has soliloquy, where you talk to yourself, Correct. and som, which is a prefix for sleeping or slumber. So that makes sense. Yep. Somniloquy, uh, which, I don't know, I, I learned that, and I thought that was an unexpectedly beautiful word. Yeah. It just rolls It'd be a good album title. Somnil- yeah, yeah, it really would. Somniloquy. Um, somniloquy is related to the same stage of sleep that pro- produces a um, Rapid eye movement, REM, and, and it represents a motor breakthrough in which words you're saying in a dream become spoken out loud. Uh, the lyrics of this song, of course, refer to a lover who's professing affection for the singer in her subconscious only. Now, here is something that, you know, if you are one of those nighttime lovelorn lurkers, uh, beware. Things people say in their sleep generally, typically, have absolutely nothing to do with reality. Um, so you know, wait, should, wait, stop a second. Go back to that phrase again, because that's a good that's a good band name you had hidden in that. I, I, I what you said something about uh, nighttime lovelorn lurkers. Lovelorn lurkers. There's a band name for you. You like that? I have huh? to add that to my list. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. Um, I just got to. That's great. Got to put in the alliteration where you can find the opportunity. Um, but yeah, it 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 has not. It's not rooted in reality at all. Dreams. Um, even if you're dreaming about a person in your life, uh, the dream. It turns out what you say is not. I might challenge that. Well, this is just I, what I found. I know that's it, the study, it, but I, I, anecdotally, I remember my wife in college. Her roommate was, for whatever reason, really getting on her nerves. Okay. And one morning she woke up and her roommate said to her, are, are you mad at me for something? And my wife kind of blew it off and said, no, no, why? And she said, well, because last night you were talking in your sleep and you said some pretty awful things about me. <laughs> so I don't know. That's, that's <laughs> anecdotal. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, be that as it may, is this the roommate I remember? Well, she had several, and I'm not going to identify. Okay. So. Well, I, not, I didn't mean on the... You know, anyway, <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so moving on. Um, as usual, MTV really helped to boost the romantic success right around the, this time uh, with, with the videos of their songs. In, in Greg Prado's book, MTV Ruled the World, the romantics lead singer Jimmy Marinos talked about this song. He said it was the last song recorded for the album in Heat, and all they had was at the time was a backtrack, the instrumental part of the song. Uh, the band realized it was too good a track to leave unfinished, so everybody put their heads together, and in a couple of days, they finished up the song melodically and, and lyrically. Um, in that same book, he also mentions that the video that gave you tingly feelings, um, <laughs> the, the video uh, apparently was filmed at 8 o'clock in the morning, okay? Uh, in Detroit, surrounded by girls in their pajamas and nightgowns and lingerie. Yeah. Um, and the band uh, says it was not really deemed rock and roll hours. Uh, so, you know, to this day, if you watch the video, they look tired as hell. Um, that's because they literally had just woken up. It was eight in the morning when they were filming. So. Well, rock and roll hours, you don't wake up until like two. So that was I, the middle of the night. Correct. You might be going to bed at eight o'clock right, in the morning. Right. Yeah. So... There you go. My number two. Uh, and I do love talking in your sleep. But again, that was the one that shocked the hell out of me. I could not believe that what I like about you did not crack the top 40. Yeah, that was a big song. It's, it's funny. I had 
I had some criteria in my head as a kid where if the song was, was really good enough, I would buy the 45, right? Yep. If it didn't quite hit that threshold, I would record it off of the radio. And this was one that I recorded off the radio. So I liked it enough to record it, but not enough to buy the single. Or maybe I just didn't have money that week. I don't know. I bought the album um, on the strength of the single, and I was so pissed because I thought what I like about you would be on the album. And it, that's it, why you read that. That's right. Yeah, well, I. Well, it's funny. There, I have a song coming up where the song wasn't listed on the album, so we'll talk about that. But most of the time, the song wasn't is going to be. listed on the album. Yeah, that's not my next pick, but the pick this, after that. This predates hidden tracks, so I'm really curious what. Well, we'll talk about okay. it when I get there. A little looking, tease. Looking forward to it. All right. All right. Well, <laughs> my next song may surprise a lot of people. Um, if you are a loyal listener to the pro, uh, to the podcast, you'll know that I don't really love adult contemporary music, and I bemoan the fact that lots of our great artists like Clapton and Phil Collins kind of uh, fell into that. But I, I do have a soft spot in my heart for a few really sappy songs. This one really surprised me. <laughs> I, I did not see this coming. And this is one all. that I would also throw on a guilty pleasures list. And it, it's really not fair because it, 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 it's a solid song, but it's a guilty pleasure for me, if that makes sense. Because like you said, not something you would expect. And that is Can't We Try by Dan Hill, featuring Vonda Shepard from 1987 from the self-titled Dan Hill. I see your face cloud over like a little girl's and your eyes have lost their shine. You whisper something softly I'm not meant to hear. Baby, tell me what's on your mind. I don't care what people say about the two of us from different worlds. I love you so much that it hurts His other song was, remember? Uh, Sometimes When We Touch. Sometimes When We Touch. Another one. In fact, I, I would have picked that one, but that one fell in the 1970s. That was like 1978. Uh, both of them really sappy, the arrangement, there are strings in there, but I don't know. And I think it's just nostalgia. I think probably at the time this came out in 1987, I had feelings for some young lady or another, and maybe they were, or maybe I was going through a, a rough spot in a quote relationship, whatever you had back then in 1987 when we were what? 14, 14 or whatever. Yeah. That somehow it fit because this is definitely not the music I was listening to in 1987. So it would have been one of those that I heard and somehow emotionally related to and never admitted to anyone that I liked it. Um, well, originally I was going to start with um, Greg Kinn because um, he had, of course, Jeopardy and Breakup Song. Yep. And then we found out that he had another song that hit the top 40 that disqualified that. 
Yeah, which I don't even remember what that song was titled offhand. And I had a perfect transition because I was going to say, well, he was bemoaning the fact in 1980 there weren't enough breakup songs. Here's a breakup song for Greg Ken. But now I can't, I mean, I just said it, but I, it doesn't, <laughs> doesn't work as well because I didn't get to choose him. But you were not going to let it go. I, lo- I love it. <laughs> you, were gonna, you were going to put it in this episode. use it anyway. Right, no matter what. So I know I'm losing some, some rock cred here and the song is really, really, really sappy. But um, yeah, he had to wait about a, a decade between his two hits the, um, from 77 to, to 87. But hey, he, he had a, a hit in each decade. So that, that, that's staying power. Uh, he's Canadian. Dan Hill's Canadian. He found success as a songwriter primarily, penning hits for the likes of George Benson and Celine Dion. But he did have his own, um, you know, his own albums as well that were, like I said, moderately successful and two big hits. Um, I was really surprised, however, and this is the example I alluded to earlier, that his follow-up single to um, Can't We Try did not make the top 40 because I distinctly remember it to the point where I thought it was a top 10 hit. What was it? Never Thought That I Could Love. I don't remember. I'm not going to sing it. I don't remember that one. But if you go back and listen to it, I think you'll know the hook right away. Okay. And I was just shocked that it didn't at least go to number 10, but it did not crack the top 40. It probably went to like 43 or something, came really close. Okay. So, yeah, Dan Hill is primarily, you know, I shouldn't say primarily known for Broken Heart, but this 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 is a kind of a broken heart. This song kind of tears you up. It really does. Because it's about a relationship and it's not working out too well and they're at that point where they're probably going to call it quits and it's that last desperation to can't, can't we try to make it work one more time? Can't we try a little more passion? And the, and the verse that always got me was he's over here in a phone conversation where his... his uh, yeah. His partner's talking to somebody else about all their relationship problems. Yeah, he says, and he says you should be talking to me. Yeah, about that, these that things. someone should be me. Right, yeah. and, and it's worded so well. It, it, the lyrics are. It's just. It's just. It's just a really nice song. Um, yeah, and I like it. And I admit it here to the world. <laughs> Dave is getting misty-eyed, folks. <laughs> For Dan so. Hill. Hey, he's got. He's a great singer-songwriter. He is uh, pianist. No. Uh, he's got uh, great vocal. I mean, he he is what he is. He stays in his lane, or stayed in his lane. I'm not sure that he's doing anything anymore, but just hits the right notes and and yeah. does what he what he set out to do. So, no, agreed. All right, my number three. <clears throat> Chances are very good if you have kids, you will remember this song. It, it uh, came back with a ferocity, uh, if you will. I went with the band Was Not Was, or no, I'm sorry, I already got that wrong. I, got, <laughs> I went with the band Was Was Not, and the name of the song is Walk the Dinosaur. Go. The sun was spitting fire, the sky was 
I thought it was was not was. No, was was not. Was. Are you sure? Yep. Okay. Yeah. And I'll explain why. That, that, that's going to be like a Mandela effect thing for me because I'm, I was, con- well, anyway, go ahead. Yeah. Well, you just heard me do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I thought it was too, but no, it is was, was not. Um, now was, was not, they had, of course, two hits. Uh, they had walked the dinosaur, which I'm going to talk about here momentarily. And the other hit was a tune titled spy in the house of love. That one was from 1987. It hit number 16. I do remember that one. Um, I remember the video for it as well. But Walk the Dinosaur, uh, definitely the much bigger hit. Walk the Dinosaur hit number seven in 1988. comes from the album What Up Dog. Now, Walk the Dinosaur, it has a long, very colorful history, okay? It was written by Was, and in my notes I even say not Was. Well, I'm looking on Spotify right now. It says Was, not Was. Was, not was? Yeah. Okay, so I just got it wrong. I was, I was right the first time in my notes. Because I, I have it written both ways. Um, yeah, so, so it's was, not a Mandela effect thing, folks. Okay, so was, not was. Okay. Yeah. So I was right the first time uh, unnecessarily correct. I was about myself. to really check my place in reality after that. <laughs> All right, so... Um, the song was written by Was Not Was members David Was and Don Was, and it was produced by songwriter Randy Jacobs. It was the first, it was first released as, as a single in 1987, but it ended up being included on their 1989 album What Up Dog. Now, now the song, as I said, colorful history, okay, and very very interesting path to fame. It, it's amusing that he. Um, sorry, I can't speak this morning. It, it's amusing video and insanely catchy chorus helped it to gain fame in the early days of MTV and on the show Liquid Television. Remember Liquid Television? Oh, on MTV? Yeah. 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 They loved playing this song. Uh, what was the, what was Liquid Te- like? Liquid Television was, it was um, like an animated, um, I don't even. Like an adult swim kind of thing? A pre-adult swim uh, type show? Just kind of weird visuals and stuff? I, I'll have to go back. I, yeah, You're right. I, I remember the name. I, I just remember don't remember it. much yeah, about it. Yeah, I just don't remember a whole lot about the show huh. itself. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, apparently on Liquid Television, they, they played the song very frequently. Um, it also got some play in the Spike and Mike festivals, but its star would have definitely faded by now if it hadn't been rediscovered in the 2000s and become an internet meme. Okay. I didn't know this. Oh, Yeah. But before we get there, first, George Clinton of Parliament Funkadelic fame, he covered it with altered lyrics for the theme songs to the very forgettable Super Mario Brothers movie. Okay. I think they're making a new one. Are they really? That's what I read. Anyway. <laughs> oh, I think Chris Pratt is playing Mario. I don't know. I, hmm. I could be wrong. Anyway. Okay. Uh, a year after Super Mario's Brothers um, had come out, it was then part of the soundtrack for the 1994 film The Flintstones. Okay. Well, that makes sense. It does, yeah. Finally, though, Queen Latifah revived it for the 2009 animated film Ice Age, Dawn of the Dinosaurs. Um, and that last usage uh, made all the difference. Suddenly, that this song was everywhere. You couple that with its inclusion in the repertoire of the animatronic shows at Chuck E. Cheese's Pizza. They played this every time that the animatronics would... Which would come live. One of the many reasons why I rarely... Yes. Went to, you know, I... I used to wonder why they sold beer at a kid's <laughs> venue until I actually went there with my kids. Yes. And then I realized why they sell beer. And you partake, yes. Yes. Uh, definitely. Uh, but yeah, Chuck E. Cheese, every time the animatronics go live, uh, Walk the Dinosaur was one of the songs that they, they performed. So that and Ice Age, it introduced the song to a new generation 
a generation I would argue probably loved the song a lot more than we did. Well, I didn't like it at all, yeah, so that's there, not, there, that's there, not there you much. go. Uh, yeah, same. Um, but yeah, it, it just suddenly it was it was all over the web, and and know your meme actually has a page showing the Google search stats spiking after the the release of Ice Age and then trending up again after Chuck E. Cheese uh, gave it a bump. Now, some of the quirks of the modern dinosaur story include the boom, boom, akalaka, boom, boom, okay? Always kind of reminded me of the unga chuka and, and hooked on a feeling. And the video also featured four cave women doing a walk the dinosaur dance, which to me always looked very much like the Bengals doing their Never walk caught on, Egyptian. thank goodness. At least I yeah. didn't think it did. Um, and the song also includes a reference to the hit TV show Miami Vice, which ensured its place in 80s nostalgia. Um, but... Note that in the third verse, he's no longer walking the dinosaur. He's now killing it. Kill the dinosaur. Apparently. I don't think I made it that far through Never the song Never made that far? Ever. Yeah. Apparently he's in self-defense <laughs> mode. I, I don't know. Um, know Your Meme also uh, remarks upon an interesting usage. It seems that posting the lyrics to Walk the Dinosaur is a common alternative to Bell Airing. You know what Bell Airing is? Nope. I didn't either. Uh, what does Bell Airing mean? It's, it's, sounds dirty. It does. It's not. <laughs> but it, it sounds dirty. Uh, it's a discussion board meme where you post some long-winded, shaggy dog story that seems to be leading to a payoff ending, but abruptly ends with the same variation on the lyrics to the theme song to the TV series, Fresh Prince of Bel Air. It's basically a Rickroll okay. in, in, written, okay. in yeah. written form. Okay. Why do people spend their time doing this? I, these I do not know. But when people started to catch wise to this trick and they would scan to the end of long paragraphs looking for Bel Air, the trick was then changed to posting Walk the Dinosaur lyrics instead. Hmm. So apparently if you go to the you know, the the forums, I, yeah, people end very long stories with the lyrics to this song. I, I don't get it. As for the name the Mandela effect as you are. And here, again, I have was, was not. So I was flipping back and forth <laughs> the entire time. Uh, was not was was the creation of the songwriter producers Dan, or I'm sorry, Don Veganson and, and David Weiss, uh, who named themselves Don Was and Don Was, or Don... <laughs> wow! It's this is be, hard, folks. It's going to be a hard. long morning. Um, so <laughs> I'm going to just restart that over. Uh, was not was was the creation of the songwriters, producers, Don Fagenson and David Weiss. They named themselves Don Was and David Was for the project. Okay. The name was inspired by Don's 18-month-old son who would do that thing the kids do where he would describe something as the opposite of what it was to get a reaction and then correct it. So he might be pointing to a cat, for instance, and say, dog. Wait for the disapproving look, then say, not dog. Don saw something very zen in, in this behavior, and he became intrigued with Piaget's reversibility theory, which describes the developmental stage when a child understands that things can be undone. So they morphed this into the name Was Not Was, and that they took their stage names after their new band name, very much like the Ramones in that way, and the song became a hit, and the names stuck. So that is the long, very fascinating story of Walk the Dinosaur. I really thought I was going to make the rest of my life without having to listen to that song again, but you've ruined that. <laughs> You're very welcome. Glad I could be of service. <laughs> oh. No, it's, it, it's a fine... It's, it's, it is, I, 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 I think I judge it too harshly, because harshly, when I went back and listened to it, it, it's kind of a funky number. It, it is. It's kind of fun. It is. I just at the time... 
it wasn't for oh, me. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and bear in mind, too, this episode is not a list of our favorite right. songs. This is a list of, I mean, there are not that many to it. Right. Ones, there so. were some slim pickings yeah. at the end. So, sorry, sorry, all you Tone Loke fans. You didn't make the podcast. Yeah, yeah. and in reality, <laughs> he probably should have been one of the first ones we, we included, being he had two hits and everybody knows them. Right. But that's why I didn't include them, because everybody knows them. Right. You know, I was looking to bring back songs that maybe people haven't thought about. I'm also trying time. to get through my life without hearing Funky Cold Medina ever again. <laughs> I would have went wild thing. Yeah. So, um, much more fun. That one's, that one's still everywhere in pop culture. Uh, it is, yeah. yeah. Which is why I did not include it. But, all right, your turn. All right. Uh, excited about this next band, because you know I love them. This is The Clash with Train in Vain. tough however for me to put the clash into two hit wonder category right because there are a lot of bands out there that were influential that are great that just weren't hit oriented and i would you know if you take out born in the usa bruce springsteen's a great example of this yes he's had his share of of hits the long way again taking out born in the usa which was mon- a monster album but he's not he's not a hits oriented artist right his his fan base they're in love with everything he's done. He's, he, he, his greatest songs, arguably, were never released as singles. There are a lot of bands like there. There are bands out there that, like the Grateful Dead, never hit the top 40 until the 80s with um, Touch of Grey. Yeah. Right? You, you know, you're going to call the Grateful Dead a one-hit wonder? Of course not. Right? So you got to be careful. So The Clash is not technically a two-hit wonder, but they do fit the criteria of having two songs, and only two songs, to have reached the top 40 in the United States. And so they qualify. So there, that's my disclaimer. Um, the first U.S. hit, this was their first U.S. hit. It went to number 23 on Billboard. Their second one went all the way to number eight. And we already featured that on an earlier show, so I couldn't right. pick that one. Because Rock the Casbah is one of my favorite songs of all time. Um, so I had to go with Train in Vain, which, again, not a bad alternative. The, uh, the band titled Train in Vain, titled the song Train in Vain, rather than Stand By Me. Do you know why? Um... My guess would be that they didn't want to be confused with Benny King. That's exactly right. Yeah. They didn't want the song to be confused with uh, with Stand By Me, the, the classic Stand By Me. The um, the reference though itself doesn't seem to fit lyrically. It's just a reference to the train like rhythm that the song has. Right, and that's where it comes from. Now, getting to what we were talking about earlier about the album sleeve. Okay, I remember realizing that the song, which is the last track on London Calling, was not listed on the record cover. It's not like they were trying to do some clever marketing, you know, That's trick right. where it was was a hidden track or anything. I, I'm, I can see it now in my mind. Instead, wow. the song was a last minute addition yeah, and the okay. cover had already gone to print. All right. So they came up with the song and they loved it so much and they're like, this has to go on the record. They had enough space left to put it on the fourth disc, but they were already printing the album cover. Now, I, I think in, in re-releases, they may they may. Um, I was going to say, the, I'm, I'm not sure. The version that I have... I vaguely recall seeing 
the album without it listed, but I know that the CD version that I had had, 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 it, it, yeah. had it as a track. Um, I had, had it listed as a track, but FAL, I remember we used to go into that back room mm-hmm. and I remember pulling uh, London Calling and I, for whatever reason, it's pretty vivid. I, I can remember that, yeah, it's not there. When I remembered, that's how I found out. I was going through the record store a long time ago, you know, probably in high school or, or maybe even earlier than that and, and looking for that song and asking the person working at the record store. I'm like, what what album is, is I said, Stand By Me uh, by The Clash on. He said, you mean Train In Vain? Well, it's on London Calling and it's just not listed on the sleeve. Huh. Yep. Forgotten all about that. But uh, yeah, just, it, 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 it's a perfect song for it to be the first hit in the United States because it really is a, a catchy um, pop song with, with rock punk cred, of course. And that's the thing about The Clash is that they, you know, the Ramones were one, I think I said this before, the Ramones are a one trick pony, but they did what they did really well. And I'll listen to that one trick <laughs> over and over again because I love the Ramones. But The Clash really did. They just went way beyond just their punk credentials, and they brought in some elements of jazz and blues and, and rock, and you know nothing was out of the question for The Clash to, to try and pull in. And I think that's why London Calling is so influential, because it just if you listen to that album top to bottom, it just touches almost every single musical genre. Yep. No, I agree. All right, my number four. I'm going with the band Dead or Alive, and you want to talk about something ingrained in pop culture. This is the only time that I did not go with the bigger hit. And that is because nobody needs reintroduced to you spin me round like a record. Everybody, and that was one, of course, that was sampled in a club song not too long ago. Well, right. probably 10 years ago yeah. now. Yeah. And, and most people don't even know the original track. They right. just know it from that. Yeah. That but, but, but nonetheless, this song has never gone away. Um, it has never gone away, even as records themselves were disappearing from the shelves the song never went away so i did not go with the bigger hit this time i went with brand new lover uh it hit number 15 a year later in 1985 Now, Brand New Lover is still well-known. It's a better song, I think. I think it is, too. I think it's better than You Spin Me Round. Uh, Brave New Lover, you know, as I said, it's the only other U.S. Billboard hit for Dead or Alive. Um, and like You Spin Me, it is a product of the legendary British music writing and production team of Stock, Aitken, Waterman. Um, the Hit Factory, as they were commonly referred to. Um, it's a frequent song uh, producer uh, for Dead or Alive. And... Um, SAW, Stock, Aiken, Waterman, uh, they actually have some Rickroll immunity as they're the ones that wrote Rick Astley's Never Gonna Give You Up, so we can blame them. Uh, <laughs> Dead or Alive. Um, it has had a lot more hits on the UK's side of the pond than here in the US. Um, you Spin Me has gotten so much airplay here in the States 
that I think the group is mostly type, most likely typecast by it, mm-hmm. honestly. Um, well, in the video, too, uh, he kind of had the Boy George thing going yeah, on. Yeah, he was in drugs. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And very drugs. Right. Yeah. Um, the, the title of the album that this comes from, uh, Brand New Lover, it was Mad, Bad, and Dangerous to Know. It comes from a phrase originally used by Aristocat, Aristocrat, Aristocat. Aristocat. <laughs> hey, we pulled in Disney in this we, episode. We did, yes. Um, okay. Um, <laughs> it was originally used by aristocrat and novelist Lady Carolyn, or Caroline, I don't know which, Lamb. And it was something she used to describe Lord Byron. So I think we can presume it was uttered upon emerging from the sack, given the usual score for a Byron relationship during the Gothic period. Uh, in fact, the two shared a passionate affair, publicly fighting while privately smooching, and years later they even shared each other's writing styles. So since then, the phrase has been nicked for the title to albums, books, other creative works, and Dead or Alive pulled it for theirs as well. Um, yeah, Pete Burns, that, that's the androgynous frontman. Um synthesizer and drum machine you know it all came together really for the perfect dance club song this I would say Brand New Lover is a much better dance track than You Spin Me Around as well sure yeah I, I just think it is um, Pete Burns though he, he has spent most of the 2000s so far moping over his face being out of shape due to extensive plastic surgery mm-hmm. he stopped touring and in fact uh, for that reason and now they're they're slowly fading into obscurity again, but yeah, the, he had an eye patch too, didn't he? Yeah, he had yeah. an eye patch. Um, so there you go. I went with Brand New Lover, uh, the lesser hit of the two, but uh, the better song and the one that you do not hear when you turn us off and turn on the radio. So, <laughs> yeah, right. There you go. Yeah, no, they they always kind of reminded me, and this is totally unfair because I don't know anything about their catalog or their success in Europe or anything. But at the time, I'm like, oh, they're trying to do the Cure thing, kind of, but make it dance worthy, you know. That's that's probably unfair, but I, I just never became a big fan of theirs. No, I, I wasn't either. Um, but most most Americans weren't. I mean, they they this is another one of those examples where the band was much much bigger. Sure. Um, you know, in their native England. So, all right, my next one again is going to surprise everybody out there. <laughs> it's not often that I pick a. Well, okay, so we can argue whether or not this is metal or hairband or arena rock. I'm talking about Rock Me Like a Hurricane by the Scorpions.
gave the history of uh, I don't remember what song we used, but you used a Scorpion song oh, for uh, a previous uh, episode. No one like you. There it is. Yep. Yeah, um, and you gave us the history. They, they actually this was a band that was formed in the the mid sixties. Oh yeah, they were they were formed back in I want to say like nineteen at least nineteen sixty five. Okay, sixty five. Yeah, so mid sixties. Um, you know, to me, I don't know. They may have been they may have been labeled metal by marketing or, or by the, the label. Right. Um, to me, I've just always seen them as hard, hard, as hard rock. And I agree, they don't fit into the glam rock category. Yeah, no, not at all. Or the hair band, so yeah. Um, so this song, like I said, 1984, um, and, and it's a pretty hard song for 1984 to have hit the charts. It, it went is. to number 25. The, uh, the second American hit wasn't until 1991, which we also covered on the 1991 episode, Winds of Change. Correct. Which was um, written, of course, they're, they're German, and it was written after the Berlin Wall came down. Um, you know, you already brought up the fact that uh, they'd been around since 65, uh, but it took them that long, right, from 65 to 84 to finally come up with uh, their signature song, you know, or their brand song. I was just watching a documentary this morning, actually, about Kiss and how on their third album, they just were pushed by their producer to come up with a signature song that just represent who they were. And so they wrote rock and roll all night. Right. Um, this is their, this is the Scorpions signature song, right? Oh, yeah. Rock you like a hurricane. It's just, it's got everything. It's, it's stuck around. And there's the title. You hadn't given it. Oh, I hadn't given the title no. yet. Sorry. <laughs> rock me I, like was, a, I was waiting. You told me to correct you, but I'm enjoying the story. No, so. please. Rock me like a hurricane by, <laughs> by Scorpions. Yeah, I need to see. Yeah. We need a producer over there to throw something at me. Right. And I forget. Um, like a lot of songs we discuss, this one has made its way into a ton of popular culture over the years and will always remain a staple of the 1980s. And like you said on the beginning of this, this podcast, we have such an eclectic mix of songs in the 1980s. So this, I would argue, was one of the hardest songs to probably hit. And then you have something like Can't We Try by Dan Hill. Right. Which, you know, we're a couple of years apart. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, no great song. I, I've, I have always loved The Scorpions. They, to me, they're they're the equivalent of Guns N' Roses in a number of ways. Uh, very similar. Yeah, because I, would, I would agree with that. They're just hard rockers. Both, I think, get unfairly linked to the the hair bands, but neither was a, a hair band. Because right. they weren't as hard as, as the hardcore metal bands. Right. But they weren't as glammed up as Motley Crue and Poison. Exactly, yeah. Um, but no, Rocky Like a Hurricane is just, it, it, it is just a staple. You know, you, you can't escape it. And it's one of those songs I don't want to. I've always loved this song. I, I've always loved the Scorpions. So. And the song I did feature, uh, I think it was on the 1982 episode, when I featured uh, No One Like You, did not hit the top 40. Right. So that's why. Correct. Disqualified. All, All right. right. Uh, my turn? Yep. Number five. I went with Voices Carry by Till Tuesday.
I'm a huge Amy Mann fan, by I the am way, too. so I'm really yeah, excited about love this. love Amy Mann. Um, Voices Carry, uh, it's the self-titled, uh, or I should say, it is the title track of, of the album of the same name. Uh, it came out in 85, and it hit number eight on Billboard. Um, it is just a haunting, very captivating hit, you know? It, it, it kind of fell on you like, like an anvil in 1985. Video songs that expressed such pathos were, were rarely heard on the radio unless they uh, came from male vocalists. Think of like Careless Whisper by, by Wham or Shout by Tears for Fears. Um, Till Tuesday, though, uh, lead singer Amy Mann, uh, who later emerged, as, as Dave said, as a formidable solo artist, one of, one of my favorites. I'm, and I'm actress. She was in Big Lebowski. True. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it was her toe that was Wearing cut off. Wearing a cast, yeah. <laughs> um, she wrote the lyric, uh, declaring each line like almost like a, an entry in a diary. That's, that's kind of what the song always felt like to me, like you're reading someone's private thoughts in the diary. Um, there are very dark undertones in the song as well, hinting at an abusive relationship in some ways. I try, I try so hard not to get upset she sings because I know all the trouble I'll get, you know. Um, the guy wants her in, in this song, I mean, it's pretty straightforward, he wants her to keep her voice down so he can keep what they have going a secret. And while at first he's simply telling her to, to, to hush, by the end of the song... It is elevated to shut up, exclamation point. Uh, you know, silenced, man ends the song with the line, I wish he would let me talk. So it, 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 to me, it's, it's, it's a beautiful song, but it is. It's very haunting and, and a little disturbing as well uh, because to me, I've always read a little bit of a Oh, no, you're, you're right. Relationship it's it's, it's there. definitely there. Yeah. Uh, Voices Carry, it was huge on MTV, which had at this point been around for four years, and it was all the rage with teenagers lucky enough to get cable. So, directed by DJ Webster, the video shows Amy Mann in her distinctive haircut. She had like a rat tail. Like. Yeah, I, I described it like a starched Pomeranian with a rat tail. Is that, <laughs> is that what I have here in my notes? Um, and very much like Pat Benatar's Love is a Battlefield video, it uses dialogue to tell the story, opening with her oaf of a boyfriend saying very sarcastically, I'm so happy the band's doing well, and by the way, what's with the hair? And then we see Mann rehearsing with the group, pouring her emotions into the songs. The creepy boyfriend keeps berating her for having a music career instead of, you know, being his housefrau, if you will. And to compound his villainy, he even gets rough with her. When they go to Carnegie Hall to watch the symphony, Mann can't take it anymore and, and has an outburst in the middle of the theater, finally expressing her pent-up frustration. That scene was inspired by the 1956 Alfred Hitchcock movie, The Man Who Knew Too Much, oh. where Doris Day screams yeah. during a symphony to thwart a murder. Uh, the video put a very different spin on the song, though, with man finding the strength to stand up to her tormentor. Uh, she said she did not write the song as a feminist anthem, but when it came time to make the video, the idea was in the air. Uh, it was it was kind of very heavy-handed, and, and she did not disagree with you know the, the take that they had. Uh, their next single, Looking Over My Shoulder, it reached number 61, so that is not the second hit here. Rather, in 1986, two years later, they did uh, better with a song called What About Love. Now, don't confuse that with the Heart song, okay, of the same title. But What About Love by uh, Till Tuesday, it went to number 26. So that is your second hit of the two I don't hit, remember that one. Two hit uh, wonders. I don't, I'll have to go back and listen to that. I don't recall that one. Yeah, I, I didn't either. Um, hmm. What About Love. Uh, I, I gave it a listen, and it's... I don't think I had ever heard it before I played it. Interesting. Uh, just in the last few days. After one more album in 88, Till Tuesday Broke Up, uh, kind of like the Velvet Underground in some ways. They're now seen as a band that was ahead of their time. They were adored by critics, but they did not sell. 
knowing about the albums. But yeah, Amy Mann, she has went on to become one of my absolute favorite solo artists. You married Michael Penn. She did, yeah. Who, who is um, another songwriter. Another songwriter, you could say, was a one-hit wonder with No Myth exactly. in the early 90s. Yep. But, uh, yeah, she's she's great. In fact, a friend of mine saw her up in the House of Blues in Cleveland, and it was the night of the Grammys, and she won a Grammy Award. She didn't go to the Grammy. She's in Cleveland performing, right. but she won. And, and then I guess halfway through the show, she said, oh, someone just told me I won a Grammy. That's cool. And then went on with the, <laughs> and then went on with the set. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. All right. My next one, going back to the early 80s again, 1981. This is Trouble by Lindsey Buckingham from his debut album, Law and Order. featured several Lindsey Buckingham songs on this show, which is kind of surprising because he didn't, he only had two hits, right? Yeah. Um, Trouble was the first hit single, uh, Away From The Mac. It made it to number nine in 1981. The other hit, Go Insane, we featured a few episodes ago on our crazy episode. Correct. Went to number 23. The third song that we uh, featured was, of course, Holiday Road on our road trip episode way back in season one. I cannot believe it did not chart. No. Honestly. Yeah. It's another one, and I don't know, maybe it wasn't released as a single. I don't know, but it, yeah. it is very, I'm sure we talked about it then, but it doesn't make sense. It's kind of like the romantic song. Yeah. You just assume that was a big hit. Right. Uh, Mick Fleetwood plays drums on the track. However, this was interesting. Lindsay was not happy with any of the complete takes. So we took a four-second clip of Mick's part and looped it through the duration of the song. Really? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. The, uh, the video received a lot of airplay on MTV. It's, a, it's, a, it's a kind of a super band of just, you know, a bunch of drums and bass and guitar. Uh, but I really don't recall much about it other than... I remember the video. Yeah. Um, vaguely. Vaguely. But I, yeah, I just like I go insane from, you know, the previous episodes that we, we did... I would. This is a song I would have forgotten all about. Yeah, had had you not. But it's a great song. It for the episode. It's a great song. It came out right before I started kind of listening to music on my own. I think I remember hearing it. You know how it's Solid Gold. I used to love Solid Gold. Oh, I watched Solid. Yeah, I watched it all the time. And I think at the end of the episode, they would have like the top ten, and they would play like a thirty-second snippet of the song while the Solid Gold dancers interpreted the song through dance. Which always cracked me up because so so few of those songs were danceable. <laughs> right. You know, it was just... Well, this was one. I remember uh, this song. Part of Solid Gold. I remember this song being danced to briefly on Solid Gold, but I don't remember it from Airplay. And I didn't remember it till I went through and did my research and, and we found that Lindsey Buckingham was one that fit the criteria. And then I'm like, oh yeah, of course, this, this is a great kind of vibey song. Yeah. Uh, and I love that really cool de delay effect on the guitar solo at the end. I mean, 
Buckingham is an accomplished guitarist, um, but he's also very creative in the sounds and tones that he uses. And it's just, that's what makes the song, I think. It's the vibe. Yeah. It, you know, it's a simple song. It's pretty pretty laid back, pretty chill. I agree. Absolutely. And he looks like he was spray painted with spray painted with gold spray paint on the cover of the of the album. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I, <laughs> or he spent a little bit too long in the tanning booth. Okay, something. I can't place the album <laughs> cover art, but. All right, that's that's my um, next to last pick. Yeah, this is your last one. Last one for side A. I'm going with Crowded House and their number two single from 1986, "Don't Dream It's oh, Over." So so good. One of the great 80s tunes. Number two, their second hit, uh, it came from 87 a year later. It was Something So Strong, and that hit number seven. The Taste Some- of Genesee <laughs> is like the lust for gold, I think is the lyric. <laughs> what? I think that's the lyric. Something So Strong? Yeah, The Taste. Like the Taste of Genesee. Really? Is that actually? Like the, well, that's, well, we're going to talk uh, next huh. week about, we're actually going to talk about my next song about how I always misinterpret lyrics, but I'm going to look, you keep talking, I'm going to look it up. I I remember something so strong. I mean, I remember the melody, I remember, I I can't say I remember the lyrics, but I find it hilarious if they actually use a reference to Genesee. Well, I know they do for sure, I just don't know the second part of it here, so let me find it here. All right, here we go. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Okay, this is really embarrassing. (laughs) Are you wrong? Wow. Fact checked on the air, folks. So my next song, I'm going to talk about how ridiculous I heard it. Now, so Today I Learned, or T-I-L, as they say in, in Reddit internet language. Today I learned that he's not talking about the taste of Genesee. <laughs> he's talking about a taste of jealousy. Je- uh, yes, okay. A taste of jealousy is like the lust for gold. So I did have the second part right. Yes, I thought it was the taste of Genesee, like they're in the garage and they're drinking cheap <laughs> beer. I like that image a lot more than the taste of jealousy, frankly. At least it makes sense. My other misheard lyrics make no sense. This actually made sense, and so I never even questioned it. Oh, all right, I anyway. love it. Yeah, you said Genesee, and I'm like, that does not sound right to me. Um, I need my hearing checked. That that was that was awesome. Uh, anyway, for one thing, they're not an American band. They're from New Zealand. Yep. Mm-hmm. So when you're Tim, Tim and Finn, what's his brother's name? They're the Finn brothers. Yeah, it's uh, the, I can't think uh, of it. Neil. Neil. Yep. Neil. Yep. Finn. Tim and Neil Finn. Um, yeah, because when you said Genesee, I'm thinking who outside of the, the states would even know? I don't know. Genesee it's it's like a Paps thing, maybe. I don't know. I mean, it's like maybe. A hipster Do they thing still make Genesee? I don't remember the last time I saw a Genesee <laughs> no, in the know. store. I have missed. I listen to that song all the time. <laughs> Okay, embarrassing. That was great, though. <laughs> Moving along. You just gave me the greatest laugh of my day. Here, I'm going to um, prove you wrong. <laughs> I'm so sure about the first lyric and not the second, and it was the opposite. 
Okay, so anyway, something so strong that is their second hit, and it was a hit. It, it hit number seven. It was it was huge. Um, but this, don't dream it's over. This was Crowded House's biggest hit in the U.S. Uh, as we said, the group is from New Zealand. Uh, they remain very popular there today. Crowded House was their first album, and it did very well in the U.S. And subsequently released albums had success in the U.K., but not in the states. Uh, when Crowded House reunited in 2016. Neil Finn explained that uh, he's happy to keep playing this one. Uh, he said in interviews that he really enjoys singing it every time that they do it. Uh, he's super pleased and proud that this is the song that is most identifiable for the band because he said he thinks it is one of his best songs. Um, now, Mitchell Froome, he was uh, the producer of the first three Crowded House albums. He helped Neil Finn complete the song. And according to Finn, the day that he wrote it, he knew he had something quite special. But then the next day, he played it with the band, and he said it sounded like a bag of shit. Excuse my language. But um, then the next day, he played it with the band, did not like it at all. Uh, and it was only when Froome suggested the bass line, which Nick Seymour elaborated on, that it really found its groove. Uh, Finn was wavering uh, away doing demos, and, and Froome just made some quite profound suggestions, I guess. Like an R&B bass line might be better than a rock or a pop approach, or a Hammond organ. Uh, might sound nice. Um, these were not textures Finn was used to, and Froome filled in quite a few areas for the band that they weren't used to covering, which made the song sound less distinctive. It took a while, but Don't Dream It's Over cut on with radio disc jockeys here in the States, and the album from which it came went on to have a really big life because of it. This was the one Crowded House song, too, uh, that Fleetwood Mac performed on tour when Neil Finn joined the band in 2018. Uh, Stevie Nicks joined him on vocals for these performances. And Finn considers it to be a song of unity. And in fact, when he performed it in Hartford, Connecticut with Fleetwood Mac on March 15th of 2019, he dedicated the song to the victims of the shootings at Christ Church, where earlier that day a gunman had opened fire on uh, two mosques. So, um, and, and I think the song was elevated even more in pop culture when it was featured in the stand. Yeah, in yeah. the early '90s, in the stand, the the TV version, which right. TV miniseries usually aren't great, but the adaptation of both it and the stand were actually very, very good. They were, and and the stand had an all star cast, and I mean Rob Lowe and um, Molly Ringwald and, and uh, many other Ed Harris was in it, right. And this was a song that, that uh, Molly Ringwald plays on her little childhood turntable. Yeah, I was going to say she and Harold, Franny and Harold are kind of holding each other on the couch. Yep, yeah. yep. That, and of course, I made great use for Don't Fear the Reaper at the very beginning. Oh, yeah. So It was perfectly placed on that one. And I prefer that version to the, uh, to the stand that came out, uh, was it a year or two ago? Yeah. I forget. It was on Peacock, I think. Yeah, I, I, I watched CBS. it. It was on CBS. There were things about the, the new miniseries that I enjoyed. But it, it was very uneven, yeah. I, I think. And I still I don't feel anyone's gotten Randall Flagg right. I, did, no. I didn't like Jamie Sheridan's Randall Flagg. I really didn't. No, I did not. I, I didn't like either Randall Flagg. I didn't like the Trash Can Man in yeah. either version either. Um, but this is not a Stephen King podcast. So oh, okay. Yes, we, right. we digress. <laughs> we do that a lot. So. All right, my turn? Yes. All right, well, Stephen King is horror and... A great horror show was Twilight Zone, so there's my transition to my next song. Nicely done, Dave. Twilight Zone by Golden <laughs> Earring in, uh, from 1982 from the album Cut.
I'm really, really excited to talk about this song. Because this is one of those songs to me that does not sound like an early 80s song. This is one of the, this song to me is timeless. This song could have been written and released today and I wouldn't question it. Maybe I'm wrong on that. I just feel like it's just a timeless song. Dutch band Golden Earring, they're just such a cool, cool sound. It shocks me that they only hit twice here in the US. Now they have tons of hits over in the Netherlands. But here, two hits and they are so far apart. Um, but, but both so, so good. So good. In 1973, most people remember Radar Love, which mm-hmm. is incredible. And then you have to go back to, to or, um, go forward to 1982 for Twilight Zone. So, yeah. Yeah. Another band kind of like like the Scorpions that were around from, you know, the early to mid 60s and just continued. So they have a huge discography, which I kind of surprised I haven't gone back and, and checked out because I like these two songs so much. The album track for Twilight Zone is over eight minutes long, but they cut the single like they often do with longer songs so they can, you know, fit it to four minutes or less for airplay. Uh, man, I mean, the whole thing about the song is just so cool that the, the bass line that goes throughout, especially the bass interlude halfway through the song, uh, which is eventually joined by the perfect guitar solo for this. Now, I don't know about if we're going to include the full eight minute. I would prefer to include the full eight minute song. Go, go for it. But that's not the one you would have heard on the radio. But it really just kind of, I mean, the four minutes are sweet, and this is twice as much of a good thing. And, of course, the lead vocals are shared on this track, uh, and there's spoken word. There's everything in this song. And the imagery, uh, do you remember the video back in the 80s? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, great video. It, it, it's, it's another list of songs and bands that would never have hit airplay in the early 80s if it wasn't for MTV. Correct. And I remember watching this video and, and feeling that the song was really weird, but I liked it, kind of like the same way I felt about Wall of Voodoo's Mexican Radio. Oh, man. That was really weird, but I, I liked thought it. of that song in yeah, forever. They, Wall of Voodoo was on uh, IRS Records, I believe. And the band finally hung it up in, what year do you think they finally hung it up? This band that started in 1961 right. and had two U.S. hits. I'm going to say, had to be late 90s. 2021. Are you kidding? Due to illness in the band, Yes. They have been playing for 60 years. Well, is that right? 1961 to 2020? Yeah, that's right. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy, right? Wow. They produced 25 Give albums. Give props. I mean, that, that's longer than the Stones. I know. Wow. Yeah, the Stones. Yeah, you're right. Uh, the Stones produced, or the Stones. Uh, Golden Earring produced 25 albums, 30 top 10 singles on the Dutch charts. Now, this is one where I misinterpreted lyrics until I prepared for this podcast. So not quite as bad as <laughs> realizing that they weren't talking about Genesee and the Crowded House song, but I always, and this one doesn't make sense at all, so I don't know why I never questioned it, but I, I thought the lyric was, when your brother hits the phone, it's when the bullet hits the bone. Yeah, yeah. And I always thought, when your brother hits the phone, and it sounds like that, and I just never questioned it. Huh. And then I always thought it says, feels like being born, and that's not the lyric. It feels like being, uh, what's the lyric? Because I looked it up and I've already forgotten about it. Feels like yeah. being. I, I, I'm going to look it up real quick because, yeah, because it's I know nothing the, like that at all. Yeah, I know the song and I, I love it, but I, I haven't heard it in so long. I can't help you with the lyric on that. And as a kid, I used to think feels like being born. And I knew it was a painful, um, uh, pain, the imagery was painful. So I thought, boy, is it, is it really painful to be born? And I thought, well, nobody would remember, though, because you're being born. So maybe it is painful. So yep. my. <laughs> 
<laughs> you were so overthinking the misheard lyric. It's, it's hilarious. It, it, well, and, and, and I think what I'm going to start doing, I've made a decision that I'm going to start going back and taking time out of my day to listen to some of my most beloved songs and read the lyrics along with it. I think I'm going to find a whole new world, especially with like Dylan, you know, like somebody I was Springsteen was talking about like a Rolling Stone in a, in a podcast I was listening to. And he's telling the story about, I'm like, what do you mean story? There's no story to like a Rolling Stone, but apparently there is. I've just never listened to the lyrics very carefully. All right, <laughs> here we go. So uh, yeah, Step in the Twilight Zone. Oh, this place is a madhouse. Feels like being cloned, not being cloned. born. <laughs> now they're Dutch. So yeah, they're going to, yeah, yeah. you know, no, I mean, Elton John is British and English, but oh. he, he's awful and as far as enunciation he really goes. is i it it was years before i learned a lot like of rocket man <laughs> yeah well and even worse i mean the one that no one knows what the hell he's singing is benny and the jets right you know? right it's, she had electric boots not right. electric boobs yeah so um I, well, and i mentioned this to you the other day i would love to do it a, a mixtape of misheard yeah lyrics. i think we should yeah i think that would be a blast yeah I and mean, it would also show how there is a book called uh, excuse me while i kiss this guy yeah yeah, Which, for, for uh, the purple haze, right, misheard right. lyric, yeah. And there's a bathroom uh, on the right instead of the mad moon on the rise. Right. Yeah, we should. Well, you need to quit giving them away if we're going to do, <laughs> do the episode. Oh, I thought those were the obvious ones. Well, obvious those. I thought I thought the Bee Gees tragedy was babbity. You want to know my most embarrassing <laughs> beast of burden? Yeah. I always thought they were singing uh, Easter Bunny. Oh, well, yeah, that's pretty bad. <laughs> I'll, never, I'll never be your Easter bunny is what I heard for years and years and years. And I felt so left out being Jewish. I'm like, well, I can't like this song, I guess. You know, <laughs> little Alan. Um, yeah, I think it'd be a fun episode to I do misheard lyrics. Well, that's side A for our Two Hit Wonders episode. And uh, it was some pretty good music on this one. Yeah. Take me I, back. I, I really enjoyed this. I just the the conversation alone made this worthwhile. My embarrassment, you mean alone <laughs> made it worthwhile. For what it's worth, though, I it's kind of nice that it's, it doesn't fall on me this time. I feel like I'm tripping <laughs> over words. And how many times have we gone back and checked like album uh, Yoda? I, I just think of Yoda for Weird Al. How I insisted it was on Dare to Be Stupid. But I think that's really interesting uh, that the fact that, and we can't go into this because it's the end of the podcast, but just how, you know, especially when you pull witnesses to, you know, in a trial, oh, yeah. people's memories are not very uh, reliable. They're not. Especially not as time goes on. Yeah. Not at all. So, no, it's just nice that it fell on you this time. So. <laughs> um, and I, I think our listeners will get a kick out of it anyway. Genesee, that's awesome. Um, <laughs> we should get a, if Genesee's still around, we should get them to sponsor the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure they'll be interested. They, they might need the support because I don't think anyone knows they're still around. Um, Genesee Cream Ale. They used to have commercials all the time on the radio on Q92 for Genesee. And I would, they were like conceptual commercials. And so I got for Christmas, real quick, I got the sound effects machine for Christmas one year. And so I would record my own Genesee commercials <laughs> with the sound effects yeah. machine yeah it's weird anyway. wow i you know i've never had a genesee in my life i don't think i have either. I no idea what it what cream ale tastes like from genesee well you know what we're going to make that our mission this week i'm going to i'm going to go to the grocery store right. we're in ohio so you can buy alcohol in the grocery store and we're going to look for genesee and if so i'm going to buy it and we're going to drink it during our next uh, podcast okay let's hope that it does not have adverse effects <laughs> I, in my mind I always thought Genesee was going to be really I headed up to a Schlitz and Blatz and, and, and Paps and Paps yeah, and, and Hams and PPR and right, yeah right. alright anyway uh, it, 
Shout out to our sponsor, Jay Callahan Painting. If you have painting needs here in Northeast Ohio, the greater Cleveland area, look for Jay Callahan Painting on Facebook. She does an incredible job. She will not let you down. Um, competitive pricing, and man, she's a wonder. So, uh, yeah, let her, let, her, let her help you with painting that house. That's all mm, I got. That's all for this week. Hot Funk, Cool Punk, even if it's old junk, another mix of memories awaits next week. But for now, press pause, lift the needle, and hit eject, and we will see you on the flip side. Sitting in a box undigified Gonna rewind and give them one more try Think about the days of lo-fi mixtape Memorex and TDK Getting music out there the old-fashioned way Making the greatest hits of one day mixtape Phonograph and dual cassette Before you could get everything on the internet but some things ain't made it there yet Mixtape Line in, line out If you don't have a line Hold the recorder to the speaker Turn the volume to nine There's an accidental slice of time Turn the volume to nine There's an accidental slide